From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome everybody to the second episode of the Are You Not Entertained series around Web3 that we're calling Renaissance 3.0. Most of you probably have seen or heard the first episode with Robbie Young of Animoca. And I think, you know, from the reception we got to that episode, it set the scene really, really well for what we're going to try and hope to do today. Today we've got two amazing guests that I think can allow us to, to go deeper and understand better how content and production and the creator economy can be affected by Web 3.0. The two guests we've got today, I've got a great background to help us do that. The first is uh, Sunil Singhvi, who is an amazing guy that has got a a background in music and music production with the BBC. Uh, He then moved into very, very senior roles at Instagram and Twitter around partnerships and content. And he is now uh, working with the NFT marketplace, Rarible. So Neil is the guy that I think uh, can let us understand from the front seat how Web3 really is taking the next step forward in the creator economy. Uh, We've also got a younger guy, uh, one of these bright young things, Pet Berisha from Copa90. Uh, He himself is a content creator. He's got a lot of different podcasts. He's also an innovator, I think, because uh, he's got involved in new formats for sport. He's got a a six-a-side league called the FinTech League, which, if I'm not mistaken, is actually sponsored by MasterCard. So knock yourself out on that one. That's clearly a winner. And he uh, has now gone into Copa90, which I really like because Copa90, those of us realize that I think they were the ones that moved sport content forward quite significantly in the last decade. So they bring in somebody like Pet, and you know, you're thinking, what are they going to do now? So I think we're going to have a great episode. The bar is very high after Robbie Young. So I won't keep you any longer, and I'd like to welcome both Pet and Sunil to Are You Not Entertained? Hello, sir. Hello. Hi, Sunil. How are you? Hi, Pet. Hi, hi, Pet. Good to see you both. Thanks for making time. Um, let's not forget to thank Entourage, uh, who bring you, you guys will recognize that the sponsor is incredibly important. So, uh, this is the second uh, episode in the Entourage series here. So, guys, let's kick straight away uh, into this. Here's what I want to ask you, and I'm going to throw it to you first, Sunil. I think it would be fair to say that Web 2. Web2 and everything that is defined by Web2 has been a bit of a disappointment for content creators, whether they are individuals or whether they are publishers. Most of the economics of Web2, one could argue, have been left with uh, Facebook and Google. Describe to us, Sunil, how, because you were right in, right, right in the middle of that, how Web2 uh, and the disappointments of Web2 are going to be resolved and Web3. How do you see that developing? Oh, easy question. It's, starting off <laughs> it's, it's not the easy one. So, so I, philosophically, I, I will challenge you a little bit that this has all good, been good. a big, it's all been a big disappointment so far. Like, as you said, <laughs> that I felt a little part of me like crushed a little bit. I don't, I think where we got to is a disappointment. I don't think the journey was a disappointment. So I think the journey through the years of technology catching up has benefited content creators and produced phenomenal content that people will love and think about uh, for, for sort of forevermore. I do think that we have got to a point where the distribution models and the you know the sort of commercial models have now outstripped what is on offer. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that the likes of Vine, which gives birth to TikTok and, you know, stories from Snap, which becomes Instagram stories and becomes, you know, sort of, I don't know, LinkedIn stories, apparently. Uh, like, I think, 
Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I've never, I don't think anyone's ever viewed any of my Facebook stories, but they are there if anybody ever wants to see them. Um, I think, I think all of those things have given birth to a new set of content creators, a new set of ways to deliver content to people. But I just think we've got to the point now where we've been outstripped. I've got to the point now where, and and you know, this is, uh, uh, and I, I think fondly of my time at. Uh, Instagram. I was at Instagram. I should point out just for for, uh, fact checkers that I was at Instagram pre-Meta. So I left Instagram before (laughs) the company changed its name, which I think we'll probably come to at some point in the conversation. And I do think that I I got sort of tired of seeing in my sort of personal life and what I was looking at on Twitter and what I was researching and what I was reading compared to the distribution models of pre-roll on IGTV videos. Like I just got to a point where it just, to me, it felt sort of disingenuous to be out talking to up and coming creators and saying, you know, what's really good, create three to five reels every day. And if you're lucky, one of them bangs. And when one of them bangs, you'll get loads of views. Does that mean I get more money, Sunil? No, 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 (laughs) no, no, that doesn't mean you get more money. But that does mean you could go back to somebody else and say, on my one in five aspect, my, my one in five sort of hit rate, would you like to sponsor me more money? (laughs) <laughs> right. Okay. So that's not a compelling pitch to a brand. <laughs> no. Uh, so, and then at the same time, I was sort of looking at actually the same level of time that goes into creating a great reel, which, by the way, if any of you that are not producing Instagram reels, they're an art form. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the same way that, you know, and I think Pat will probably talk a little bit about this as well, in the same way that a good crypto project takes time, it should look effortless. It should be full of effort. Um, and I think I just saw that the time differential of creation from creating a reel or creating an IGTV video to creating a good project in this sort of Web3 world just didn't make sense. The hours that are poured into it to creating endless videos in the hope that you beat the algorithm just felt to me like we got to a point where this doesn't really make sense. Then on top of that, the bit that I feel very, very passionate about is the concept that once you've created a piece, you're never detached from it. So you create an an NFT on on Rarible today and you set your secondary royalties and it can be anywhere between zero and 50%. By the way, 50% is really punchy and I would not encourage anyone to go out at 50%, but you do see it sometimes, roughly industry standards around 10%. So if your item is bought, which hopefully it is, and then it's sold again, you get that secondary royalties. And I think for content creators, that is absolutely life-changing, completely life-changing compared to I got some pre-roll on YouTube and when that video stops banging, that's it, it's dried up, it's over. The notion that every project that you build hopefully adds some credibility and adds some interest in that previous item so that your next thing helps the first thing. I think is so, so important. And pushing that forward for, for your question about publishers, I think that's fascinating for publishers. I think they've got a different uh, lifespan to things, and I think we will see interesting things happen with how carefully publishers want to tread. But that notion that you create things that have longevity is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. The thing about those 10% royalties as well is, you have a bit more control over where those are sold, where they're seen, because a lot of people think that, you know, because something's on a blockchain, it means that, you know, it, it it's kind of on the front end everywhere. Uh, that's only true if you have like a certain amount of centralized or decentralized platforms showcasing these pieces of work. And I think for me, the other thing is that, you know, I've made YouTube content. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, at my former place, 11 first, I think more than 50% of the, the, the top viewed videos uh, there were produced by myself, you know, cheeky plug. Um, but like, <laughs> the algorithm can change at the drop yeah. of a hat. And right. so yeah, can absolutely. the algorithm on, on Twitter. And so that's another thing. But w- what I will say in the pro of Web2, YouTube, on, I think if, if I was looking at their earnings last year or the year before, about a third of their revenue the ad revenue went to creators, which is, is is a fairly big chunk. Now, where I think models are broken, and people have attempted to do reasonably good stuff with um, 
you know, stuff like the athletic in sports, right? I think a lot of people love loved or well, I loved the the content there at one point. But even then, when you see a company that's kind of like backed by VC money and is basically giving away memberships so you don't really feel like yeah. they're valued at all, it's basically as bad as having ads on a good article, right? Uh, because you're seeing their one pound a month offer pushed every single month. So we've seen kind of a very ad driven uh, models in Web two start to falter and and yep. lose their value, and we've seen the non ad versions also not do that well. And now the ones that have done well, if we think about like Real Vision with Rao Paul, um, he's done really well. There's a few other big content creators or, or content channels that have that made subscription models really successful. But I do think there's there's something greater here. There's something bigger from a Web three perspective from a content creator standpoint and i don't really have the answers right now i think it's definitely a new paradigm shift for content creators and i think i bracket kind of anything in media from art music video whatever it be in there and i think those channels individually are going to have different ways of monetizing different ways of um encouraging their audiences to be part of that journey but i think right now we are still at that kind of first baby step we're at that like black and white tv stage for what you know nfts and web3 and whatever means to to, to content pay, pay, one, one of the things that i, I think the audience may, maybe um haven't fully grasped yet even after robbie's episode is that the funding model for content creators you know, we've we've mentioned the old ad model, which I, I don't think did. I, I take your your YouTube point, but I don't think it did that that much for them. Certainly, if you had to make an investment up front, and then of course, Copper ninety with the whole branded content way mm. of of funding content. Uh, Web three with NFTs, where basically you get your community to fund what you are hoping will be an ongoing series of content, maybe multi season. I think that is that penny has not yet dropped. I believe, and that's why the name of this podcast is called Renaissance 3, I, I believe that NFTs will bring in a completely new, creative, uh, imaginative uh, way to empower a new generation of sports fan. Do you, not, do you see it that way? Yes. I think that the way people are thinking about them in 70% of cases, it's probably not going to be that renaissance though. And so I I think there are people doing really interesting things and the people that usually are making the least noise are coming out with the most interesting things. And so I I think we're kind of 1% or 2% there with NFTs. Like these could be anything. And I think that's what people are stopping to think about, if that makes sense. Like when you say NFTs to the average person, they're currently thinking about just pictures or like a board. This is my point. They've got the wrong idea. Yeah. And, and there needs to be a retraining here about, um, you know, a, a retraining of our minds in the sense that like, anything digital can be ownable and that feels weird right because we've only had the internet for 30 years and we've been humans for like what you know modern humans for 30,000 ancient humans for 300,000 so you do the maths like 30 out of 30,000 or 30 out of 300,000 years we've had the internet right and for 10 of those years we had like shitty dial-up for 10 of those years we couldn't even stream like 720p video and for 10 of those years, we've had like four massive companies basically own and monopolize that internet. So it's not been like an idyllic state. And I don't necessarily think that Web3 is going to be an idyllic state like straight away. What I do think though, is that the ability to own something online when 50% or plus of our time is spent online just kind of makes sense to me. And I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, well, back in my day, like, going into forests and picking up sticks and making little houses with my friends is what we did. It's like, that's great. That's not the way the world works anymore. Yeah. And I think the, the other big point I want to make, and this isn't to do with sports or, or Web3 as well, Westerners think in such a privileged way when it comes to Web3, it's unbelievable, right? This has changed the way that people can, you know, have stores of value, send money, whether it be in like Venezuela um, or Brazil, who's a big crypto entity, or in the Philippines with Axie Infinity that's created like a whole new microeconomy there. Like the way that Westerners think from their kind of like marble marble arch chairs about Web3 is unbelievable. And like the very, the very, 
ability to send money in like a frictionless, quite cheap way is big. The very way that like an artist can create something and have big distribution throughout the internet is big. Like Western world and like communities and civilizations are really poo-pooing this because they don't have these issues. I've, I've never had to like, I've never had to work at a factory. I've never had to be an artist and like, um, you know, clean rubbish off the streets in a third world country until like I get a big break. Th- those are things that just do not like your Western brain doesn't comprehend because we are so privileged. And so I do think there is something in that that like a lot of people look at Web3 in rose tinted glasses and that's true. But the people that look at it in like a complete dis- disparaging way, one, I don't think have the facts, right? Two, I don't think give good context to some of those facts that they like to poo-poo it with. But three, the amount of privilege I see is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And like, we need to start opening our eyes that like the internet has meant that on average, people have lived better lives. Like if you look at the average GDP of, of the world since the internet's come about, the average information we've had since that has, has come about massively. And I do think this is going to open up new forms of revenue and new streams of revenue for people worldwide in, in so many different ways. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to, it's not going to end poverty, but there are people who um, live in less privileged situations that are going to have massively uh, asymmetric um, gains from this new world. And that's something I definitely believe in. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in? Sure, sure, man. On you go. Yeah, yeah. The thing I want to say, um, and, and, and Pet, you sort of you sort of mentioned it there, but this is the this is like my 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 big soapbox on it. This is blank canvas stuff, and that's why it's so exciting. So if and you go scary back for, for a lot yeah, of incumbents, uh, absolutely, absolutely. So if you go back to like the the, the dawn of of of, of sort of uh, social media, uh, and I was you know I was really lucky that one of my one of my first gigs after I left the BBC was was helping people understand what Twitter and Facebook and and Instagram and Tumblr what what they meant and how they worked, and honestly the amount of times I sat in the back of a uh, back of a cab in London trying to get to the next meeting where the cabbie would tell me, oh, I'm never going to go on Twitter. That's that Justin Bieber thing, isn't it? That's just people <laughs> arguing. Meanwhile, we've got talk sport on where someone that you haven't decided yeah. to follow is just arguing on the radio or LBC, which is just, it's just un, sort of vetted people going yeah. at each other. So with that in mind, like you look at the early days of Twitter, and I don't think Twitter is a fully formed beast, but it's refined itself into smaller communities. If you look Most at the definitely. Of crypto Twitter or black Twitter or sports Twitter, like there's much, much more interesting things happening than ever before. And likewise with Instagram, for a long period of time before Facebook really got it going, it was avocado toast. It was the same Sunset Beach every single day from the same 10 people who lived, as Pet mentioned, incredibly privileged lives, come and look vicariously at somebody on holiday. But now you look at some of the things that are being done, and now there is tons of garbage on there, but you start after a period of time getting people to do incredibly smart things, things that change the way we think about diversity or representation or change the way that you know niche communities can interact with each other or conform. So... You move that forward to a Web3 world, as Pet wonderfully described there. It is early, and I know that that is a a sort of crypto NFT term, we're early. But I I can't emphasize how true that is. And with that blank canvas that's really scary, there will be a lot of projects that come up and don't really grasp their own opportunity. And I think that's what's really scary for a lot of the businesses that we talk about, a lot of the sports leagues and sports clubs is, they will look at one success story and they will say, I want one of those. So, let me come in there a little bit because I don't yeah. want to lose this, this point. You talked about social media and their role. And, and I don't think there's any better place than you, Sunil, to answer this question. You know, I don't think people are grasping what the 40% reduction in the share price of Facebook Meta now uh, really represents. Let's leave the cookie thing aside for a minute. Let's leave the Apple gatekeeper thing aside for a minute. I want to concentrate on the fact that we mentioned in the first episode that open versus walled gardens. Uh, the fact that if they can't control the walled garden they've had in Web 2, 
Facebook's in trouble. Tell me, Sunil, from your experience, how you think this plays out. Do these big beasts, these big gorillas, in some way get on the train in time and in the right way, or are they just going to be washed away? Uh, so I will start by, and again, I know that this isn't the point of it. I do think the the advertising piece is a big reason for the drop. So I, I think it would be it would be remiss of me to just sort of glide past that. Sure, sure, but, sure, sure. But I do think the 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 challenge for all of these next big legacy businesses is the audience more and more wants to decide what community they live in. They want to decide who they mix with. And like, I say that as a good thing and a bad thing. So, you know, the, the notion of echo chambers and being with the people that you like and have similar views to you, I think will only extend because it gets to a point where you think, actually, do I want to be around people that I disagree with or do I want to be around people that don't share my values? So there is going to be in an opening up of the world, a closing up of the world which I think is a sort yeah. of fascinating thing for Web3 yeah. that actually you can be in a Discord server and feel like your thing is so, so important and like your project is going to the moon. But actually you step outside of the Discord server and it turns out no one's ever heard of you. It turns out that actually no one's talking about your project. So I do think the big challenge for uh, Facebook and, 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 and the others as they enter this new space is if they don't own the friend network, if you actually don't want to come with your auntie and your uncle and the kids you went to school with into this new world, what is their grip with you? What is their community piece with you? And I think that's going to be a real challenge. The other <laughs> thing that I think is a real challenge, and again, this is not substantiated by any facts, but one of the things that these big companies has been able to do, and I am, by the way, living proof of this, is they were able to offer quite decent salaries at quite well-run companies for you to come and join. Well, the money situation has changed because if you are a really prominent Web3 developer, the question you're going to ask is, why would I work for someone else? I could build this myself. And actually, I'd Jeez. like to build this for myself because I will own something, like real something, not equity shares in a business that isn't mine that I don't control. Why would I want to work for someone? And actually, I think a lot of people that are building in the Web3 space are beginning to see this already, that actually talent is very hard to retain, very, very hard. hard to retain. So if you are now in a position, uh, and again, I, I, I should mention that I, I did thoroughly enjoy my time, but Menlo Park is not the best place to live in the world. It's really expensive. It is reclaimed swampland. It's like, it's not that fun. So right, so I want to change the way that the world works and the world thinks about Web3. Do I want to do it from capital M meta? And by the way, when you've trained up all those Web2 engineers to be Web3 engineers, retaining them is going to be real hard yeah, for yeah, Amazon, yeah. for Google, for Facebook, Meta, for all of them. Once you train people up and show them the opportunity, I think there's a real retention problem for these companies. So uh, in answer to your question, there's sort of two things I think about. One, the communities that we thought we knew and cared about, which are the people that you have physically touched in terms of you know your, your life, is the way that Facebook and Instagram really worked. And then they sprinkle in your icons but they'll tell you the stickiness comes from, I am friends with this person. Do I see their content? Do I see their baby photos? Do I see their life updates? And then in there, I see some, you know, hopefully not Kurt Zuma, but I see some football content and I see some <laughs> other things. And I just think to myself, well, this is great because I can mix what Mbappe is doing with what my mate from school is doing. But now when you move into this Web3 world and you think, actually, I'm part of the Copper 90 Discord group. And actually, I don't know these people, but tonally, I'm interested in what's going on. I don't know anything about them. I don't know their handles. I don't know their names beyond their handles. I don't know where they live. Uh, I, I'm in a, a Discord server about, you know, something sort of quite niche and geeky. And one of the guys in the group mentioned he was in Germany. And I had absolutely no concept because it wasn't important. The important thing is that... Can we I add one other thing there? It's, it's not just geographic. It's also... And, and again, this is a, a, a apples and oranges comparison, but like in a traditional organization, you, you have like a, a junior product person and a CMO, right? And those two people yeah. might never ever talk and they might talk like once a quarter if, if the junior person's lucky, right? And junior people in orgs, because I've been there like four or five years ago, they crave like talking and experience like learning from these people that they think are great and the great thing about web3 
is you can be in a community with an amalgamation of unbelievably talented people and not realize it. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a community called shiny object social club, right? And it's just, you know, loads of people exploring this space to, to varying degrees of success, to varying degrees of experience. Someone in there has the most popular gardening YouTube channel in the world. Like how, how bizarre is that? Someone yeah. in there is a co-founder of a big FS consultancy in the UK. Someone in there is head of crypto at, uh, you know, Copper 90. Like you have such a wide array of talents and like you have someone who might just be joining, be able to talk to like loads of these amazingly experienced people like within the touch of a button and that does not happen like it can happen on twitter but even then you have like these very arrogant people that as soon as they get a certain amount of followers and a blue tick like they won't respond to you or they'll change their notifications so they don't see uh, responses from anyone that they don't follow and in these communities where the friction is kind of current like completely removed someone goes in they say hey i work in insurance but i'm really interested in web3 anyone is anyone like interested in chatting about this random you know that's a random example yeah. but you might have a few people who are like yeah like i used to work in insurance or yeah i'm working full-time in web3 now and i used to work in fs or whatever it may be and i just think there's something about web3 and sunil can can also um you know back me up on this one door opens and another 15 do and from those 15 doors another 15 open in each of those doors and i just think it's a stark difference to you know trying to talk to someone from visa or trying to yeah. talk to someone from like a big org and that kind of everybody wants to see everyone win and everyone wants to talk to each other and look like it will become a zero-sum game at some point like like tech did become uh, or big tech did become but i just think right now there is that kind of energy and verve that everybody wants to help each other and there is no friction yeah, but listen, I think it's clear um, that, that people are starting to realize that this is a different phenomenon. You know, um, we talked about it before, but it's clear that whether it's a generational thing, whether it's a, a geopolitical um, thing about the West and, and, and the emerging, uh, emerging countries. But let's take this now into sport, because here's what sport has done with what I believe is a fourth turning. By the way, Pet, you mentioned Real Vision. Uh, my co-host on Are You Not Entertained, Grant Williams, also co-founded uh, Real Vision with, with Raul. Um, so uh, very familiar with, 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 with all that thinking there. But here's how sport has dealt with this fourth turning moment. Um, they've seen crypto, uh, whether it's exchanges, whether it's uh, uh, currencies, whether it's tokens, as another sponsorship dollar. They remain in the mentality of collecting checks. Um, they uh, hit their budget doing that way. Oh, and the great thing about these sponsorships like Socios is that it's actually the fans that pay for them. I mean, how bad, Pet, has sport started its relationship with Web3? Um, I'd say about like a four out of 10. <laughs> Um, and I only say that because I think the US on the whole has done quite a good job. Um, I think that they have, and I think it might be because of player unions, but essentially you've seen, I don't know, for example, FTX on the 75th anniversary of the NBA dropped a NFT to everyone who was in attendance of the Golden State Warriors game that day because the FTX, because FTX sponsored the Golden State Warriors right? At a very cheap price, actually, 10 million a year, I think, which I thought was a bargain. Um, but that's really interesting, right? Yeah. And that's a superpower that a lot of crypto companies have that a lot of traditional brands don't have, right? Like if you're a petrol company, you're not going to be able to do, to do something quite similar, are you? You might be able to give everyone a, a gift voucher, but I suppose it, it's not quite the same. But there, FTX have basically encouraged people to uh, so sign up for an account and get an NFT for free that commemorated their, you know, being there on that 75th um, anniversary. We've seen other cool things, you know, Coinbase sponsored the NBA. I think SoRare has been very successful. I think NBA Top Shots has been very successful, even though I think that's, that, that kind of hype has died down a little bit. And I think we're going to see more and more really interesting projects uh, that are like more crypto Web3 native. And I think we're going to see more interesting sponsorships that are more interesting than Eon Energy sponsoring a sports club. And look, like a, an example that I give is 
Kentucky, uh, the ABA, ABBA team, um, who are a college basketball team. They're one of the biggest uh, college uh, mm-hmm. franchises in the world. As soon as the um, uh, regulations lifted about um, sports stars being able to utilize their nil rights, so name, yeah. uh, I forgot what the first the I is. Image likeliness, there we go. Um, as soon as they're able to utilize those, Kentucky, I think it's Kentucky, is Kentucky, not Kansas, Kentucky, basically... Uh, linked up with the FT, with FTX and FTX allowed athletes there to create their own NFTs to do whatever they want with their nil rights and monetize them. And now that might seem like a simple thing, but again, there might be a lot of privileged lens looking at that like, oh, you know, they're college athletes, they get like a free sponsorship. Uh, they, they get a free scholarship. Like, why are we feeling bad for them? We're feeling bad because they're basically used to make a shit ton of money by, oh, yeah. like, uh, by, yeah, big, or- yeah, by big organizations, right? And anything absolutely. you can do to allow them to have a cut of that pie is important. And I think like, if you can ready these 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds to be more digitally savvy with their brands, I think that's pretty important. And now look, I'm not saying these athletes are going to do it successfully, but I think it's an interesting angle. Now, where I think things have gone badly, yeah, I think is is, is one... A model like Socios to me, and again, I've said this on other podcasts, so I've been on, on record with it, doesn't really make sense because if you are a if you are a football club, right, and I think football clubs have caught the most slack for this for, for, for obvious reasons. They're kind of in a hypersensitive situation after the European Super League and so on and so forth. Everyone's got eyes on them. But if you're a football club and you're making football jerseys, right, Arsenal and Adidas collab and they split the profits, whatever their deal is there, mm-hmm. and fans buy them. That's how they mm-hmm. make their money. Now, if that's a token that can go to zero, <laughs> but that token also gives you like very, very, very small perks, that doesn't really make sense to me. And I think football clubs have now got themselves in a sticky situation because some of these football clubs have made a shit ton of money from Socios. Like, a lot, let me be a clear huge amount, a like, huge amount. Like a lot. And I think I saw Crystal Palace make about 60 grand. So that's like definitely that wave is subsiding, especially for smaller clubs. Um, but what I think is an issue there is football clubs haven't realized that this is a marketing superpower for them. And this should be a cost center for most big brands. Like most big brands that are looking to make a crazy amount of money in this space are going to do it badly. And now look, Nike and Artifact, Adidas and um, Bored Apes and Coinbase and, uh, you know, whoever else they've collabed with, they'll do well and they'll continue to do well. But let me be clear, like they're working bloody hard to make money from that. They're not just dropping an NFT and hoping loads of people buy it. They've got like teams of people. They've got very Marketing, expensive yeah. consultants yeah. and they're doing, they're putting a lot in those baskets. Trust me. Like I know, like they are, yeah, yeah. they are paying the price for doing this well. Um, and now look, they're going to profit from it long-term. That's fine because they're doing it well. But I think when I see someone like the Sacramento Kings dropping a lion NFT, which is exactly the same as an existing NFT uh collection in lazy lions and literally no one buying them that's an issue when i see man city uh, partnering with a crypto entity that doesn't exist that's an issue when i see barcelona being sponsored by a crypto entity that um that ceo is being you know done for fraud in israel that's an issue and part of that is due diligence from sports clubs and franchises it's just simple right like it's it's so simple. Well, well, Ped, um, I, I would say it's more than due diligence. I think it's a mindset, uh, and I, I'll bring Sunil here. I agree. Sp- I agree. Sport, sport collects checks. You know, a lot of people from my industry call it the minimum guarantee uh, uh, mindset. It's you know they kind of like get, drop me the check and fuck off, and 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 you know, and th- then they wonder why you know fans are not happy. You know, Sunil, how can sport change the mentality here? Is it like you said before? Is it that a new generation of talent will come in and just blow away all those offices or sponsorship executives that have been around and they just don't get this apart from the collecting check things? How is this going to pan out? Uh, how's it going to pan out? So I, I do. I, I completely agree with you with the the, the MG thing. I, a long time, even in my time at Facebook, but also my time at my time at Rarible, uh, I don't strike minimum guarantees. Even when the business were like, you can find, you can go out and write these checks because minimum guarantees for me have always been uh, partnered with minimum effort. Well said. I signed well said. the check 
And now I don't care because I hit my targets. Yeah. If this goes to the moon, brilliant. I'm the hero. If it goes badly, I throw you under the bus because you wrote the check and the project wasn't great and we'll never work with you again. This is the core and of it here. This I'll, is the I'll core find some other sucker. So so I'm I'm really against it. And you know, the, the work we're in uh, every day, someone says to me, well, will you pay a, a hundred grand up front? I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not interested at all. And there might be a time where I eat my words, but and it would have to be for the, exactly the right project. What I'm more interested in is, have you actually worked out what on earth you want to do with this thing? What is exactly. actually the utility beyond it? Utility. Because if, to Pet's point, you have just created a set of monkeys or simian JPEGs and you think you're going to sell them because you think that's why Bored Ape sold, you need your head checked. Bored Ape didn't sell because it was a nice picture of an ape. It's the absolute cultural phenomenon behind it, like the absolute movement behind it that is the reason that those things are valuable. And that's the bit that I think a lot of clubs don't understand. It's the utility. So what they are effectively doing in some cases is knockoff. In other cases, it's I've created a digital good, but I've branded it an NFT because that looks good when I write it in, you know, my, my speech for leaders. I look like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the wave because I've said NFT, but actually all I've done is created a digital goods that's, you know, no, no different to Farmville. So how does it change? Yes. I think the change is, is going to be really interesting, right? Because um, uh, the, the wave of people that are going to understand this and that are going to be really impassioned about it, the businesses, the clubs, the leagues, the, you know, the, the teams have to find a way to get those people in their organizations. Because exactly as Pet sort of hinted out there, if you go out and you spend a lot of money on outside advisors and marketeers, it's one way of doing it. But I believe, and this is this is definitely me being a little bit naive, that I think sport is more important than that. That I actually think the culture of sport, the culture of the club that you support, the athlete you support, should be transcendent to a consultant coming in and telling you how to monetize this. It should come from within. So for me, I would like to see this change by over the next few years, separate to the digital team, separate to the commercial team, a head of community that is focused on Web3. Oh, so another silo, Sunil, Just an, another silo again. But when does the club start becoming transversal and just knock out all these commercial sponsorship merchandising digital and now we're going to do community surely you have to just basically say to hell with these silos this is a different mindset it's a b2c mindset yeah i would love that to happen do i think it's going to happen no absolutely not because in every one of the big organizations and sport is not solely you know solely bad at this the music industry is just as bad and i could name 50 other industries that have the same problem they've got very senior people who will be very protective of their turf yeah and they will hold out as long as they can so uh, like it will be generational before you get to a point where you've got enough people in an organization to just say to hell with it like the the community marketing and commerce angles of this club should all be united and we yep. should all be one force and we should all be one team and we should be solving the same problem. At the moment, you've got a double whammy. You've got uh, you've got organizational structure that doesn't really promote um, unity. And also you've got a gap in knowledge. I think the gap in knowledge is the most curable bit. I think the actual unity comes down to a deeper philosophical problem with all businesses, which is, I've got my team of 10 and I've got my PL and I want to hit it. That's it. So Pet, let, 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 let me put that into an, an example that maybe some people understand. Let's say I'm Cronky, right? And I come across you and I say, Pet, come and join us. I, I'm going to do it absolutely right. First thing, would you go? Would you go to a club with all everything that Sunil has just said and all those battles that you're going to have to fight? And, and start bringing uh, people like you into the organization? Or do you stay in the sidelines and do it from where you are separately? Well, the thing is, right, like the blank canvas approach means that like individuals By the way, can't that's a... a great question. It is really good. But, like, you <laughs> it's are, a really are, are good question. This is how you not entertained. It's so, no other I'll podcast. I'll preface, <laughs> preface it with, by saying the blank canvas approach means that people can have really big big influences on this space like nike buying artifact 
changes the entire landscape the entire like i literally know brands who are like do you know any other agencies that we can buy like literally i'm not kidding right and i know i know i know and rightly so right because they they to their credit they don't want to pretend to know how, what they're doing. They know there's an opportunity here. They might not be experts. They know their consumers want it, but they're not the experts and they want to find people they are. So with the Arsenal question, I think it's very, very difficult to convince sports clubs and franchises that the right thing to do is not make money from this immediately. That, like, If that is the crux of the question that you need it to is. answer, you're not going to be... And the reason isn't because football clubs are bad. It's because they're driven by commercial and marketing people who need to hit a bottom line. And if they mm-hmm. don't hit it, they're out the door. And those people might be there for three or four years. They might leave after. And those cycles of people, they're the people that are like... They're the people that are, um, you know, they're the people that are looking... Um, to to make this money so if they're not going to be there for the long term it's difficult to convince a cmo or a commercial director at a football club to go and do something like this and and risk their bottom line because at the moment you know i've said this to sunil on another podcast i've said it at other podcasts there are football clubs that have made the equivalent of signing a mid-table premier league striker in one quarter oh yeah 50 million from socials right yeah um and I, I think it's difficult to kind of like say, well, you know, we've actually got employees to pay here and their mortgages are, are like kind of on our line. Their their kids being fed are on our line. Again, I'm being like extreme here, yeah. but, you know, if you're a commercial director, you're like, well, am I going to take this deal to make up that bottom line so we don't have to make like 25 people redundant? Or am I going to... But the th- the, these things are really hard. Like we've seen it with Peloton where the, the CEOs come in and new CEOs come in and they're going through a drastic cultural change they're shutting down factories they're they're sacking loads of people because they need to get that ship into into you know ship shape for lack of a better word yeah and i'm not saying that's going to happen to football clubs but if they digress too far down the commercial route in this world they're not going to make the gains they think they are well let's just even look at the argentina and fa you know how the hell can they have a socios deal and think it is okay to do a binance deal you know, and, and and sadly, we can't dismiss this as some unsophisticated South American rights holder. This, yeah. I can guarantee, is happening everywhere. You yeah, know, uh, I, I, and, I, and this I, is a problem for told, sport. A big so I problem. Was told, I was told by someone uh, who I won't name, but they said this was the equivalent of football clubs giving away their digital rights in the early 2000s exactly. and selling them to digital agencies for like a hundred grand thinking wow they've bought like our digital rights for a hundred grand this is amazing and then having to buy them back for like 20x multiples the, the i think the thing is for me right fan tokens as a thing have been tarnished by one model and i say tarnished quite loosely because you know like they may evolve into something else i, I have my doubts but they might I envision fan tokens as something that like is basically membership points on steroids, but tokenized and that the resale value and the trading volumes aren't the primary thing that you want, uh, that you want people to be doing. These are like digital assets that people own that they get through having season tickets, being at games, scanning a QR code because I woke up in Australia to watch an Arsenal game, all that kind of stuff. And those tokens might give me discounts on merchandise on online stores digital and physical they might give me first choice uh in terms of like away tickets all that kind of stuff like we're just thinking about modernizing and digitizing a fairly archaic model when it comes to like football clubs and fans like there isn't a good model out there but even when people say oh well you know in germany they have like 50 plus one it's like great have you seen the like q a's with like Bayern's exec teams like have you seen how crazy they get when they want to bring in a sponsor from qatar and all the fans like start revolting against it great point barcelona are owned by fans who has got the most debt in european football yeah barcelona great point man so i think there's there's better models to be brought out of this or inspired by tokenization web3 whatever it is what i'm not so bullish on right now in terms of sports and web3 in totality is like fan tokens i think there needs to be a stripped back new model that is a marketing cost for sports clubs and i think the whole you know dow landscape which i'm sure we'll get onto as well is you know a lot of people thinking they're going to just like 
make some tokens, make a DAO, and they're going to like buy a football club and it's going to be rosy, hunky-dory, everything's going to be great. When DAOs are pretty much right now a Discord and a couple of other things, and then no one has provably run an organization via DAO, via a DAO really Nobody well. has, yeah. not, not yet. You know, even if you look at someone like Seed Club, right, who are one of the most successful DAOs out there, they are an incubator model and they have they are an organization and they do really well. But they are not an organization like a football club. They're not an organization like a Google or whatever. And I think right now, DAOs are really good for collective ownership, for VC model type things. Yeah. I don't think they're there yet for organizations. And they might never get there. Well, and, and they might get may, there certainly like not majority. Certainly not majority. I think minority DAOs are interesting. Um, um, but, but, but anyway, um, you, your points are all well taken there. Uh, Sunil, I'm going to bring uh, back to, to your reality now. Uh, Rarible uh, as a platform, as a marketplace, is integrated with um, Tezos. And, and Tezos is one of the, the people that have done uh, a sponsorship deal, in their case, with Manchester United. Can you in some way try and explain what everybody's hoping to get out of that deal? I know that's a really tough question. But, yeah, um, it is a tough question. I should point out that I'm not privy to any of the commercial terms of that oh, deal. That's a shame. In terms of, you know, that's a shame. <laughs> In terms of what that looks like, what, what I think it's twenty twenty six million dollars a year, right? Oh no, sorry, I can give you the, number, the training kit. Oh, right, but, like, okay. but, but, like, but like, actually, what it means, like what they signed up. Come on, Sonny. There's a training kit there. You know, I I, I can use Google. <laughs> help, <I'm> not that old. <laughs> um, although I did read it on Twitter. Uh, so I think the you know the, the branding is for the the training kits. Um, and they've got, you know, this is not their first entrance into the space, right? They have also got um, branding in F1. It's on the helmets. It's on the cars. Like, you see the Tezos logo. And um, what I think they're trying to do very much is get the name out there. Like, I think this is very much for Tezos, a very marketing play of we need to let people know that we exist so that they can go on this journey of discovering why we are a great and interesting alternative to um, Ethereum. To, to, you know, run your projects. The thing we haven't seen, which is the bit that I'm sort of excited about, is does the Tezos deal with Man United also come with an interesting Web3 Man United Tezos NFT strategy? And that bit we and haven't content seen Content strategy. Surely, yes. if you are sponsoring the training grounds, you're getting more involved in the academy, maybe content series around these younger kids. You know, the idea that it's just blooming awareness for 26 million, surely we can do better than that, no? Yes, and, and that's the bit that we're, we're yet to see. And I, and I hope it is, but I hope it's... I hope the awareness is, is double-fold. And this is where I think the real opportunity is opportunity to create content and to you know further man united sort of you know what what they what they believe in and what they exist in and and the sort of branded content models that we've seen before you know man united rising stars sponsored by tezos you know cool like i get it absolutely get it the thing yeah. i'm more interested in is what are the projects that man united could deliver on tezos and and tezos if you if you've never seen it if you type in you know hashtag clean nft on twitter the tezos emoji pops up like they're positioning themselves as the environmentally friendly uh, blockchain. So the opportunity there to say to people, listen, there is environmental differences between these blockchains. Uh, there is an opportunity here, to, I think, with Tezos and Man United to really generate much wider spread understanding. And also, by the way, you know, to, to Pet's point earlier, they could create a picture for profile concept, a PFP project of Man United Red Devils that was rubbish. They could churn that out today. You could absolutely, Red Devil, you know, version of Board Ape, you, we could launch it today. You get me started, 11.51, we could have it up live yeah. on Tezos by one o'clock. But the opportunity for them to actually do something brilliant that sits somewhere between Fan Token and, you know, sort of Web3 projects, I think is a huge opportunity. So I'm excited about Tezos. I'm excited that they're here because I think they are a very smart set of people. When you know when we were doing the, the rareable integration, they were you know great to deal with, and we launched with an integration with Tezos and Ubisoft, the the game manufacturer. So you can buy NFTs in one of their games, Ghost Recon, and you could trade them on Rarible. So that notion of interoperability of like actually this exists outside of the game is so interesting for the next generation. The yeah. next generation of people 
don't want to know that actually at any point you could be deplatformed and all of those assets are gone. Oh, you've got a violation on Fortnite. You're out of here. Yeah. By the way, don't worry about the money you've spent in Fortnite. It's a wrap. You're gone. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to say as well, like $26 million isn't a lot of money for Tezos. Like at all. It's like an absolute drop in the ocean. And it's not that much money for Man United either. I guess the counterpoint to can they do something more is yes, they can. But this is actually Man United being quite conservative. I'm sure they have got people internally thinking about this, right? But they don't want to go and do what Barcelona and Man City have done. They don't want to go and do what Sacramento Kings have done. They don't want to do what John Terry's done with his like crappy NFT projects or whatever's going on there. <laughs> I haven't really paid too much attention to it. It's easy to kind of sit back from where we are and say like, yeah, like they should have gone and, you know, done loads of free NFTs for everyone. And they should have gone and done their own NFT project that gives you access to a Man United 99 documentary series or whatever it may be. Like very easy for us to go and say all this stuff. But like, I'd rather people start small and then go from okay. there. So it's very difficult to just go out and do what Nike and Adidas have done. I, I just want to like say that although they are the market leaders in the sport world, and so are the NBA, soon to be the NFL, blah, 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 it's very difficult to go and do what they've done. And it's baby steps, incremental steps that need people uh, to help yeah. with. Just, just for the for the clarity of the recording, I should say, Pet, what I didn't want them to do was launch on day one, having not thought it out. But if they get to the end of the deal, and all they've done is write Tezos in front of lots of people in pictures on the Daily Mail website, that's a missed opportunity. Like the opportunity to combine those two things, massive global fan base in Man United, hugely interesting blockchain and technology in Tezos, the ability for the two of them to do something combined during the duration um, I think it's really 100%. important. But also, you know, with the with the scepticism in the market right now, they would have been fools to come out with a very complicated, please read the 58 FAQs that you need to get through to understand this project. Would have been a mind-blowingly bad decision, and I would be panning them for them. I think my, my bigger thing is, if you've got these two businesses, one of which is, you know, a great IP owner and a great content machine, and the other is part of a new wave of delivery to consumers... If they get to the end of the deal and it's just Jaden Sancho with a Tezos shirt on, I will be saddened by it. Great point. Pay, let, let's start wrapping up now. Um, as I said at the intro, Copa 90 has very much been a poster child of, of innovation in sport and sport content for new generations, different ways to do things. So you've got one hell of a responsibility there because you're at a company that has done stuff and, and made a difference. So what does COPA90 and Web3 actually look like? In five years' time, what are we going to be looking back at? Uh, and what will you have done? Uh, I mean, look, in an ideal world, it's it split through two or three different things, right? First of all, on the kind of editorial publication front, we want to like make content about where football in this space are going and kind of highlight the good and the bad um and try and educate people because i think that's that's pretty important um both you know b2b and b2c so that's that on on, on that front i think on the client facing side obviously a lot of our clients are coming to us asking like what do we do how do we go about this like we've got big pressure from investors or like we've had this come across our desk like what do we do and i actually mm -hmm. think the first role is helping people know what not to do <laughs> it's, is is weirdly the, the easier bit but also probably the most important bit and then helping them with kind of like anything from strategy distribution on, on, on some interesting partnerships and projects and I think thirdly you know we're, we're building out a community on Discord um, we are thinking about new and novel ways to do good for football and kind of like there is this idea that you know at Copa 90 anyway that football has lost its soul and I think that was rubber stamped and, and underlined by the European Super League last year and I think there's a big opportunity for new models to come in help save clubs um, create new structures for how clubs are run like help grassroots in a lot of different ways and I think look none of these things will happen overnight or in maybe in the next six to twelve months but I think over the next three to five years we definitely want to be part of that kind of journey and part of helping that 
you know, football Web3 intersection become for the greater good rather than over-commercialization or over-financialization of, of everything, right? So, so that's that's the aim. Splendid. Sunil, same question to you. Rareable, you know, who do you consider your competitors? Who's going to get in your way? In two or three years' time, what would you be hoping your organization looks like? Yeah, I, I'm going to give you a politician's answer to who the competitors are. I don't think there are competitors I think the job right now is broadening out the space. Like, I think right now, if you're worried about, oh, we need to eat somebody else's lunch, you've got it wrong. Like, if you're looking at, like, what other people are making, the job now is to go, right, probably 1% of Man United or any sports club uh, audience owns an NFT. How do we get to 50% in five years? How do we get to, you know, much wider spread? So we've got a job to do in how do we help simplify that experience? How do we help make it more user-friendly, um, you know, one of the things that we've done over the last few months is we've integrated uh, Tezos, Flow, uh, we've got Polygon launching next week, we've got Solana launching fairly soon. There's a demystifying of the whole space. There's a getting yourself ready for the next wave of entrance to understand and love this space. And as a marketplace, we have to be agile and we have to move with the times. And that's difficult in this space, you know, because everything is chopping and changing. Yeah. You know, new phenomenons of you know, land and ownership of land as NFTs. And yeah. I think is really interesting, the sort of sandbox and decentral land. And there's a wonderful project called Nemus, which has bought physical land in the Amazon uh, and is selling it as NFTs. But part of that structure is they're going to stop deforestation. I've said that wrongly. Uh, but like they're going to create a barrier right, that I, means I get that it, yeah. people can't log and go through. Um So I think for Rarible, our job is to think about a multi-chain future, to think about a world where uh, anyone, exactly to Pet's point about the sort of Western privilege, uh, anyone can come to the platform and use lazy minting, which means, you know, no gas fees and get your artwork. Gas fees we didn't even get into, but it's a thing, gas fees. Yeah, it really is. And it's a thing two ways, right? Number one, it makes uh, makes everything expensive. Number two, it massively, and and, uh, like for the Web3 community, they don't, I don't think they fully get my point on this that because they're used to it and they're used to the pain of it. So they think that the, the biggest problem is expense. Actually, the biggest problem is new entrants think it's a scam. Yep. So what happens is I've committed to spend $100 on an NFT, Oof, quite a big purchase, quite a lot of money, but I'm going to go for it. I've done my research. I'm going to go for it. Get to the checkout. It's $200. What's happened? Yes, exactly that right, man. That experience of going from $100 to $200 and not knowing where $100 is going is wild for a mainstream consumer. It's mm-hmm. horrifying. So we have to think about what you know what part we can play in that, Tezos and Flow and Polygon, all with much reduced gas fees than Ethereum. And, and you know, pe- people ask, will Ethereum be you know, the outright winner in the NFT space. Right now, it's probably 90 to 95% of the market. Do I think that continues? Not without a massive shakeup. If those gas fees don't get under control, yeah, right, the next wave of people will go elsewhere. Yeah. And we, we've, we've seen it in, like we've seen a lot of things happen. So Shiny Object Social Club that I kind of plugged over yeah. earlier, two devs in there actually wrote a report about how to reduce gas fees in contracts for mints. And in that same week that they released that, I think it was, you know, the average mint was about 30% lower, which is really interesting. So like there's going to be, you know, more efficient contracts on the dev side. And then when ETH 2.0, if it ever comes, which we hope will come this year, like when that merge happens to kind of proof of stake uh, and we see lower and lower gas fees, that will be like the idea for Ethereum. But we've also seen, you know, 100 Thieves launched like a NFT collection on Polygon, which had like almost a million a million claims right so almost a million people have like gone and got their free nft because they won a, a call of duty tournament sorry i'm not too not too esports savvy but like i thought that was really interesting right like yeah. where you have a uh, a big brand that are worth a lot of money in that in the esports space basically give away almost a million nfts they didn't even call them nfts they just said here's a digital chain that looks exactly like how our commemorative winners chain looks it's just digital and it's for the fans and loads of people went and got one and it cost them like less than a dollar right so pretty interesting i thought fantastic guys i'm gonna thank you so much for your time i think you've um you've really helped the conversation immensely in the last hour uh, can you tell people that are listening how to follow you uh, get in touch with you and your companies and uh, so they can continue their education you first pet 
Okay. Uh, you can find me at Pet Barisha on Twitter, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A, uh, or you can just find me on LinkedIn as well. Sunil? Uh, I'm at Ilsun on every platform that exists, be it good or bad. I Literally, I've spent most Even of LinkedIn. the last five... Yeah, uh, most five years I've spent like just creating Ilsun. that Ilsun. Yeah, wherever I can. I-double-L-S-U-N. It's a bad pun from days when I was growing up as a kid and wanted to be a hip-hop star. Uh, Ill, I-double-L-S-U-N. Imagine like the Beastie Boys. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can, you can find me there. Uh, I'm, I'm available. If you had a choice, I would say go, go Twitter or Instagram over yeah. LinkedIn which is yeah. a hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. Uh, and obviously anybody listening, if they want to follow me, it's RPM Como. Um, if you're wanting to follow the podcast, it's Entertained Arrow. That's the words are. Uh, Entourage are amazing sponsors. You can follow them uh, and everything they're doing in the NFT space uh, with content creators. Some projects I'd love to talk about, I just can't. Extremely high profile with football players and doing something in Solano, buying land, everything we've talked about here, uh, check out Entourage. And in the meantime, Pet and Sunil, I'm forever in your debt. Thank you very, very much. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. <laughs>